Good afternoon. Our scripture is from Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. What strange words coming from the one who claimed to be the Son of God. He still storms. He made the paralyzed to walk and the blind to see. He raised the dead. He taught with the authority of God. He walked with the confidence of God. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. His disciples had never heard words like these from his lips. They had seen his holy anger at the hypocrisy of the church of his day. They had seen him weep over the lostness of Jerusalem. They had seen him in sorrow at the disease and pain in this fallen world. But they had not seen sorrow to this degree, not even close. And this sorrow was not about what was in the world, what was out there. This sorrow seemed to be about himself. It was not what had happened to others that caused his sorrow. The sorrow was about his own suffering. In verse 39, we read, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Did you hear it? From me, from me, the sorrow, the hurt, the dread was for himself. Why? What was about to happen to him that would bring such depression and excruciating, crushing sorrow? First, I want to tell you what it was not. The sorrow was not about the physical suffering he was about to endure on the cross. Many sermons go into great detail about the agony and pain caused by crucifixion. Now, certainly death by crucifixion was horrific. It was such a miserable way to die that Rome had decreed that no Roman citizen could be legally crucified. The physical pain caused by the crucifixion paled in comparison to the real agony and pain he was about to endure. Many martyrs have approached even more atrocious deaths than crucifixion and have not cried out as Jesus did in Gethsemane. Was Jesus a lesser man than they were? Why would he say, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, my father, if it's possible, let this cup, take this cup from me. Dear folks, don't entertain the notion for a moment that he was speaking of the mundane suffering of a Roman crucifixion. So why was he so full of grief? Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. You can go get your Bible now. Put it on pause and read this with me. But whatever you do, put these words over the picture of Jesus at Gethsemane. Put these words 
over the cross. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. and We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here Isaiah tells us that the great conquering Messiah will be a man of sorrows. That's in verse 3. Then he tells us why in verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 years later, another Hebrew prophet named Paul would write these words. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. For us. Isaiah said it. Paul said it. He. In Gethsemane. Was about to take our sin. To his own bosom. When you take something to your bosom. What's that mean? A mother takes a child to her bosom. Because she loves the child. You don't take that which you hate to your your bosom. But Jesus hated sin. His is a holiness that is alien to sin. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. Folks, those are strong words. They came from a man who hated, who loathed sin. Your eye is sensitive to the lightest, to the to the slightest speck of dust that comes to rest on it. Oh, how it irritates! How sensitive the surface of your eye. You cringe at the thought of something touching it. That's how sensitive the heart of Jesus was to sin. What is, what is repulsive to you? I hate snakes. They are repulsive to me. What causes your skin to crawl? Snakes cause my skin to crawl. If I knew tomorrow that I would be put in a cell and hundreds and hundreds of snakes would crawl all over me, I would be down on my knees. No, I would be on my faces, on my face. I would be depressed. I would be depressed to the point of death. I would be saying, just let me die. Just kill me, but leave off the snakes. That's something, just a tiny something of what was happening with Jesus. He knew that sin was about to be pressed upon him. 
He was not playing a game. If this plan was to be effective, if this thing of removing our sin from us was to be real, then he had to walk into God's courtroom of sin. He had to stand before God with our sins upon him, all of them. This was not a game. This was not symbolic. He was about to become as the murderer, as the slander, as the worshiper of idols, as the greedy lover of money, as the one who lusts, as the adulterer, as the homosexual as the pornographer, as the prostitute, as the thief, as the gossip, as the liar. Every sin that was to be forgiven had to be atoned. No atonement, no forgiveness. And if the sin was not on him, it could not be atoned. And if it were not atoned, it could not be All those sins by the millions, by the trillions, We're about to fall on him. Why was Jesus so far so sorrowful? Because he had to take our sin upon himself. But there was yet another reason. The prophet answered it in the words we read. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced and crushed. Why? What did the prophet say? For our transgressions, for our sins. Make it personal. Mark out our. He was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. Well, who pierced him? Who crushed him? Was it the Romans? Was it Pilate? Was it Herod? Was it our sins? No. Rome could not pierce Jesus for sin. He was not accountable to them. The passage does not say he was crushed by our sins. Our sins could not punish themselves. He was in the courtroom of God's justice. God crushed him. God pierced him. And those... He entered that courtroom with our sins. God did not say, that's my son. I cannot judge him. The sins are on him, but I cannot punish him. He did not say, that sin is theirs. It's not really his. No. His word had to be kept. He had sworn to send every sin to hell. Every sin had to come under his judgment. The sin had been laid to Jesus' charge, and he had to be held accountable. Dr. James Henley Thornwell was a great Presbyterian minister from the South. He was born in 1812, died in 1862. Thornwell was a theologian's theologian. He was an erudite Southern gentleman, and a brilliant educator. He authored a four-volume theology that became a classic. It was in that theological tone that I found the most powerful and accurate words about Jesus' death and resurrection that I have read outside of the Bible. 
So I'll quote him, Thornwell. None but Jehovah's fellow, that's Jesus. None but Jehovah's fellow could have received the stroke of Jehovah's justice in his bosom and survived the blow. The penalty of the law was no vulgar ill to be appeased by a few groans and tears, by agony, sweat, and blood. It was the wrath of the infinite God, which when it falls upon a creature, crushes him under the burden of eternal death. It is a blackness of darkness through which no ray of light or hope can ever penetrate. To the soul of a finite being, it must be the blackness of darkness forever. But Jesus endured it. Jesus satisfied it. Jesus bowed beneath that death which the law demanded and which sinks angels and men to everlasting ruin, and he came victorious from the conflict. If he had been a mere creature, he would have been crushed, sunk, lost. If he had been less than God, the bitterness of death could not have been passed. Never, never could he have emerged from that thick darkness into which he entered when he made his soul an offering for sin. This and this alone, people, was the reason for his agonizing sorrow in Gethsemane. Do you know what the word Gethsemane means? I love the symbols and metaphors which God uses in unfolding his story. The details of God's providence are infinitely beautiful. Gethsemane means olive press. Gethsemane was next to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was an orchard of olive trees. So Gethsemane is where the oil was pressed from the olives. What a fitting name and place for this excruciating pressure to come to bear on Jesus. Jesus was in agony as he looked on the great press of God's justice that he would do. So, dear friend, why do we keep trying to pay for our own sin and guilt? Why do we keep trying to satisfy the justice of God with our own efforts? Tell me the sin you are seeking to atone. I have one answer. Only Jesus could do that. And only Jesus has done that.